Hey guys, Easter service, Easter Sunday. We've never had an Easter service for Cornerstone in the history of our church. And so, yeah, this is, this is like super exciting. And I have not spoken as one of the pastors up front, I think since November. November, wow. So I've had a good break. I've had a nice long break. Been thinking a lot about 1 John 5 for quite a long time now. And, uh, and I'm really privileged to be able to give the Easter service message this morning. But before we do that, we're thinking about spring, right? We're thinking about life. Easter's about life, right? Daffodils are popping up in my yard. They bring smiles to my face. I walk around my house multiple times a day just smiling at the flowers. I'm really, really excited about spring. We have a baby dedication today. Yeah. Yeah. The third baby of the Hayes family, and his name is Bennett Xavier Stalwart Hayes. And there he is in his fine suit. Yeah. And in just a moment, he'll come on down with his family, and we'll get a chance to dedicate him to the Lord. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 John 5 today, and we'll do that in a few minutes. But, but first, let's do this baby dedication. Now, you might be able to know this. We've already said this a few times. Alec mentioned, we're a church for college students at ISU, right? But we, we have families that are part of the ministry of the, of the church, and we're focused on reaching college students, and they do a ton of work. In fact, Karen's on our staff team here. Uh, been working here for over eight years now um, to reach college students. Yeah. We like to celebrate our families. We have ministries for our families. We really like to celebrate our kids because oftentimes in our society, kids kind of just get forgotten, right? They get abandoned. They get cast aside. They're little and they don't really have a lot of rights, so to speak. It's what it seems like, right? But not here at Cornerstone, not with the church, not so for us. The scriptures are clear that children are a blessing from the Lord. And Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. And I know Marcus and Karen, they could tell you a lot about uh, Bennett. I'm sure they would like to spend hours telling you about all his coups and noises and fun things that he's doing, right? They're, they're really proud of Bennett. They're really excited about him. And uh, he is indeed a blessing to their family. Parents lack sleep, right? Especially at this age of life, parents aren't sleeping much typically, right? The little babies stay awake and they, they like to have their own schedule. And parents can feel really tired and unsure of their parenting and how to train. I can tell you, I have three kids of my own. I think, think they're all here in the service this morning. Uh, I think parenting is the hardest thing on planet Earth. I think it's really challenging. For the, you parents, you would know that. It's really difficult. It is really rewarding though. Parent, our kids have a way of revealing how selfish we are as people. And, and I think that's part of God's plan and intention, pushing us back towards him. But children are a blessing. And like I said, I'm sure catch Marcus, catch Karen sometime, they'll spend hours talking to you about their kids and how amazing they are. Grandparents are here. They might spend more time talking about how amazing the kids are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, okay. Here's a quick aside about uh, regarding baby dedications and baptisms. You just heard, Kamlara Park in a few weeks, we're gonna have baptisms. And here at Cornerstone, we believe in believer's baptisms for adults, um, not, not infant baptism. For, for little kids, for infants, we dedicate our children. And we see this in the scriptures over multiple opportunities in the scriptures. I just wanna read uh, one or two verses here from 1 Samuel regarding Hannah's dedication of Samuel 
to the temple. So this is found in 1 Samuel 1. And Hannah has a long prayer there, but this is a portion of it. She says, for this child, speaking of Samuel, she prayed, I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Bennett, today, Bennett is a testimony to God's blessings to the Hayes family. And he's brought today to testify before all of us here, all of us get to witness this, that the parents, Marcus and Karen, are loaning him back to the Lord. God has given Bennett to them on loan, and today we're dedicating Bennett back to God. So as we dedicate him today, um, what we're going to say is the parents are saying with us that they desire for their kids, for Bennett, to be God's first. That God, God, Bennett is God's, and they're going to do the best they can to steward his life. They love him enough to present him back to the Lord before all of us today. So we get to witness this together. And this is an act of faith. For parents, we know this. It's really challenging to let our parents or to let our kids kind of out of our sight and to be given back over. But it's, it's the right thing to do. Okay. Marcus and Karen, you can bring Bennett on up. And any of the kids, if they'd like to come, come on down. And you can stand right here by me. Make sure we get him in the light so we get, you all can see him. <laughs> yeah, not, not my kids, in case they were coming. <laughs> oh, you got to see the dresses and, and the suits and the shirts. These are amazing. Yeah, this is great. Come on, kids, come on up. All the way. Oh, it's really bright up here. Oh, no. Yeah, you want to look this way? Yeah, there you go. And here he is. What is, oh, this is cool. Okay, all right. Necklace. Necklace, yeah. So I want to say a few words to Marcus and Karen and um, just read to you from the scriptures uh, just to show you some of the commands given by God. All right, so Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, you shall, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And here we see a priority for parents to raise children in the discipline and understanding of the Lord um, with a deep and clear knowledge of God. So I want to point out a few key parenting points. You've done this before, twice before, right? But it's always helpful to hear them the commands again. So here's a couple of tips. Tip number one, it's a command first to parents, okay? Remember who God is. Love God with all that you have. Bennett cannot do this yet on his own, but you can. And you can sit close to the Lord. You can love God with all your might and in so doing, fulfill this command. Point number two, do not let the words of God depart from your heart. Be mindful of when your heart wants to stray from the word of God and when you want to just drift away from God and go often back to the word as your sole source of guidance on raising the kids. Yeah, that's good. Point number three, train, train your children diligently in the love, understanding, and knowledge of God. In all you do, train your children to love God above all other things. I know this is a prayer we have for our kids. That they would always, always follow the Lord. They would never turn to the left or the right. They would follow him all their days. And um, we pray that that would happen. Okay. Before the Lord and 
their families that are present and our Cornerstone family. No, it's fine. <laughs> She's super cute. We can't, we got, we got to keep her, have her run around. That's fine. I'm going to ask Karen and Marcus a couple of questions and then you two, you can answer with we do. Okay. Do you, Marcus and Karen, do you today dedicate Bennett, Xavier, Stalwart, Hayes to the Lord and to his will for his life? We do. Great. Do you promise to faithfully share the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ with words and demonstrate the gospel with your deeds to Bennett? We do. <laughs> do you commit to training Bennett in a way that honors and reflects God in his holy word? I'm going to come closer to you guys. Do you commit to pray regularly for Bennett? Great. Okay, for the families, for grandparents and families present, and then for us as a church family, please respond with, we will, if you agree to this. Will you support and encourage these parents, Marcus and Karen, as they seek to follow the Lord and honor him in their training of Bennett? Great. Will you pray for the Hayes family as they seek to honor the Lord with their family and their decisions? Great. Okay, let's take a moment and pray for both Marcus and Karen. And for Bennett and the kids, can I, can I hold him? Love you. Hey, buddy. Oops. Mommy's shirt's coming with you. Hey. You're going to pray with me. Father, parent, parenting is a, is a tough thing. It's really challenging. And yet we know, Lord, that it's an amazing blessing as well. Lord, I often say that I get about 18 years to teach my kids what it means to be a Rivera which means, among other things, it means following after you. And I pray, Lord, for Bennett. I pray for his parents, that Marcus and Karen would be humble in their parenting and wholly dependent on you. Lord, I know that parenting will stretch us and will stretch them to great limits as the kids grow and get older. I pray, Lord, that you would be there with them every step of the way, and they would they would look for you in times of need and help. They would honor you all of their days in their life, in their marriage. And protect them, Lord, from great harm. And pray for Bennett, God, that you, Lord, would bring about all that you have for his life. You would save him, that he would live a life devoted to you. He'd always follow after you, Lord. He'd do great things to impact the kingdom. We pray for him, God. We know, Lord, that you're planning in advance that works for him to do. So pray, God, you'd give him courage to follow through on those works. May you do this all of his life. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Let's a, give, him a, give him a round of applause. <laughs> okay. We have a children's church down the hall. So I guess they're going there. Um, Baby dedications are awesome. I love, I love being able to do that. Hey, um, okay, so we're going to continue our series in First John. We've been doing it since January. We have two messages left today and then next week. And then we're finished with the entire book of First John. Um, we've put together a video at the beginning back in January to kind of just give a synopsis of the entire book. So I'll show a video. And then right after that, Kurt's going to come up, and I've asked him to read this section of Scripture that we're going to be covering today out of 1 John 5. So go ahead and let's get the video, and then we'll go from there.
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's the news. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus died for our sins, but not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. This letter is written to you because your sins are forgiven. This letter is written to you because you know Jesus. This letter is written to you because you have overcome the evil one. The world is passing away along with its desires. But those of you who do the will of God abide forever. You know the truth. The truth abides in you. There are no lies in truth. Don't sin like the devil has been doing from the beginning. Remember, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The truth in you teaches you how to live for God. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Remember the message. Love one another. Real Jesus. Real truth, real community. Hey, church. Hey. I'm going to read that chunk of First uh, John uh, we were just talking about. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. But there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning the Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony himself. Whoever does not believe Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning the Son, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son, whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Great. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah. I wanted him to read that because we're a community and as a church, we're believers together in Christ. And, you know, the scriptures were often read, uh, were meant to be read out loud. And so many times we, you know, we just take them in our little Bibles and our little books and kind of read them all alone. And I thought, Kurt, reading that would be really helpful for all of us to understand and to hear the words writ- read out loud. So <clears throat> let's get started here. Have you ever sat in a courtroom for a trial? Have you ever done that? I hope you don't have to. I hope you don't have to. It's a difficult situation. If you're on the witness stand, it can be really challenging. You know, some of you have watched Judge Judy or you've kind of seen the, the, the shows, you know, the movies, Judge Judy fans. Yeah, okay. We'll talk later. But, you know, you get the picture, right? You can picture the setting maybe of a courtroom. It's typically wooden paneled, 
right? Maybe some marble. Um, you know, you have the you have the stand. The judge sits on the stand, elevated typically. Um, you know, you usually have those tables sitting out front where the lawyers sit with their nice suits and briefcases. Can you picture that? Yeah. And then you have that the other thing, the witness stand, right? And the witness stand is is always there. <clears throat> And if you ever have to sit in that witness stand for somebody on trial, I can tell you it is a, a nerve-wracking ex- experience. Um, I hope you never have to do that. Because what happens, I think that the closer you are to the person on trial, if it's you, you're really nervous. <laughs> but if, you're, if it's somebody that you really care about, and the closer you are to them, you'll probably feel quite a bit of tension. And, and, and I know I did, when I sat there uh, watching my brother on trial, and it was under heavy burden, I was asked to come and give a testimony for my brother's um, crime or you know what he was on trial for. And he was potentially facing um, 10 or more years of imprisonment. And, and I came, they asked me, will you come and give a testimony <clears throat> as a witness about your brother? And I did, and they asked me what kind of man he is or what kind of man he was. And I got to testify about what kind of brother he was as a kid and what kind of man I knew him to be. Was he the kind of man that would do the crime he was being accused of? And then we waited. And the verdict seems to take a while. And then it comes and the judge pronounces the verdict. And after hearing the witnesses that day, the judge, after the course of a week, actually, the judge gave the verdict. In my brother's case, he was absolved of the crime. And instead of 10 years of imprisonment, he was let off free. <clears throat> and we were all, it was a mixed emotions. It was a time of real mixed emotions. Um, it stands as a surreal moment for me, for sure. I, I, when I think about that moment, I think, boy, it almost feels like it didn't happen. It seems like somebody else's life. It's just such a, a weird time. But, but here we are. Today, Easter Sunday, right? Easter Sunday, celebrating together, gathering in this room in the name of Jesus, who once was under trial. He was under the trial and sentenced to death for crimes he didn't commit. Jesus was innocent. But his punishment for the crimes that he didn't commit, crucifixion and death. A death that brought life to all that would believe. And he didn't stay dead. That's why we're here. We're, we're celebrating the risen Christ. He didn't stay dead. Amen. He rose three days later and in so doing conquered all of our mortal enemies. We all have the same enemies, sin and death, right? Unnatural. In the courtroom of life, God himself gives the testimony to us. We're the jury and picture the courtroom of life is set up and God's gonna give his testimony about who the son is. In fact, he gives his testimony to all the world to hear. Not just us, but everybody that would hear. And this is the testimony. We read it earlier. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. In my brother's case, the the authority, the judge that day, gave the verdict that my brother was set free. In the courtroom of life, God gives testimony about eternal life. If you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. This is God's testimony. 
Where do you stand today regarding this testimony? What I want to do in the next few moments is just explore 1 John 5 and look at some other sections of John's writings from his gospel and from the book of Revelation. And we're going to see these testimonies being brought by these witnesses. And we get a chance to hear them and say, are they true or are they not true? Let me pray for us again, because John, we've been calling him Grandpa John around here. He's an old man in his 90s writing to a young church similar to us. Most of you here are about the age of the audience for John. And, and they're under lots of questioning. You know, they're being torn apart. There, there were people that were a part of the church that were kind of trying to steal others away from the faith. And they would come into a room like this and they would try to convince you, if they were here, that what John was saying was not true, that the real Jesus was not true. And they would try to whisper in your ear and bring you away from the truth. And so just like us, we have lots of questions. We wonder at times if Jesus is real. And so let's pray and ask God himself to reveal through his testimony and speak to our hearts that we might believe that these words are true. Would you pray with me? Father, we look to you as the one giving testimony today about your son. And we know that we can read the scriptures and people can, can read these, the, the, the Bible and can, can say things like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. Today, God, would everybody hearing know that your word is true. At the words on the video, the words from 1 John, as John testifies, that they would ring true for us, that Jesus is the truth. John was not lying. Everything we celebrate today for Easter is, is fully true. I pray, Lord, that you would make that clear to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I have three questions for you. Okay, three questions. Who do you say Jesus is? What does it mean for us to have the Son? And then how can you have the Son? Three questions, okay? And we'll just spend the next couple of minutes talking about those questions, answering those questions from John's writing. And the first question, it's been asked for centuries, okay? It's been asked for centuries. But don't let the open-ended kind of philosophical wording or phrasing bother you. Who do you say Jesus is? Grandpa John, we've been calling him this, the Apostle John, he wrote this book to address this, this question. And he wanted the true message about Jesus to really be understood. He wanted the facts to be straightened out. As I mentioned, there were people trying to pull people away from the truth. And they were saying things that just weren't true about Jesus. And, and I get the picture. If you read the Gospel of John and you read 1 John, what you hear is multiple times the Apostle, Apostle John saying these kinds of words. Believe me, I'm telling the truth. I was there. I saw him. I was with him. I touched him. We hung out. I know this Jesus. Those guys... They didn't know. They don't know anything. They're making up stories. They weren't there. And, and I just, part of me just goes, I think John just kind of has this, this sense like, he's just pleading with the people, believe me. I saw him. I know him. Who are you going to believe? There's, those other guys, their testimony is not true. What people or things in your life this morning are trying to pull you away from the truth about Jesus. 
There's a lot of voices in the world. And some of them come right into our, into our homes, in our, into our rooms, into the places of our life, and they try to steal you away from the truth about Jesus. You know, the voices that say things like, Jesus was just a man, or, or just a good man, or just maybe some archetypical type figure, even made up maybe, who knows? Something I heard last year, I was on a mission trip in Turin, Italy, and I was walking around the streets and we were playing a, um, a photo scavenger hunt with a group of people. And I had a guy with me and we just kind of wound up kind of trailing the group for most of the night. And he started asking me questions and, and he eventually asked me the question, well, who, who is Jesus to you? I mean, basically this question. And I, and I said, I got to explain to him this message, essentially. And I told him, Jesus is the risen Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is the true one sent from God. Jesus is the one that saves us from sins. Jesus is the one that died for us. And he rose for us. And then I got to ask him the same question. I told him briefly about Jesus, and he responded this way that Jesus is just a picture or a symbol of a man. He's like the ancient pharaohs of Egypt, just some figurehead made up by man to show us a way to live. Those were his words. And I asked him if he thought Jesus was God, and he said, no, he's not God, just a good man. And then he asked me again, why do I believe Jesus as I do? And I told him why I believe Jesus is the Messiah is because he makes sense to the world. He testifies to the way the world works, to the heart of man, even to my own heart. And I remember walking with this guy, and I just said, my own heart, because I know how dark my heart can be, and I know how difficult the world can be. And I look around, and I, and I look at things like daffodils in the sky, and then people, and I kind of start to go, this is weird. It's a weird place we live in. Some beauty, some real agony, tragedy, and grandeur. And Jesus explains this through his scriptures. Jesus makes sense of the world. And his testimony is true. And this guy I was talking to, he looked at me and he said, I want to believe Jesus that way too. And I hope someday I will. And as far as I know, he did not that day. Who do you say Jesus is? You know, Grandpa John, he would have testified to us saying, Jesus is the risen Christ. He's the one who gave his life as Savior of the world. Jesus is the Son of God. So what does it mean then? If Jesus is the Son of God, what does it mean to have the Son? In short, it means to have life. And do you want to know something? Having the Son and having life, it, it's the most important thing you'll ever know. The most important thing you'll ever know. And it should be the most important thing you, you really ever know. Now, five years ago, earlier this month, marks the day that my dad passed away. At five years ago, he died. And I've been thinking about his death. But, you know, when you think about somebody's death, you, you also think about their life. You know, like you, you kind of make sense of the two. And so I kind of thought it fitting. I was working on this message, thinking about Easter, thinking about Jesus rising, thinking about his death on the cross. And I thought, ah, it's kind of fitting. My mind's kind of focused on death for a while. But that usually happens to me around April because it marks my dad's death. 
Now, here's the thing you need to know about my dad. My dad had the son. My dad had the son. My dad had life. He lost the leg, amputated right above the left knee in like 77, 1977. Lost his left arm due to a stroke, just paralyzed, no use at all. He had memory loss my entire life. If you knew my dad, he would tell the same stories over and over and over and over again because he couldn't remember he told them to you because of his stroke, actually multiple strokes. And he was in a wheelchair. And not the cool, fancy wheelchairs of today. I mean, the older wheelchairs, the really heavy ones that are really hard to get around. They were really annoying. I grew up that way. You know, and instead of being able to play sports with us, well, he did, don't get me wrong. He got in the backyard and he would throw the football and the baseball with us. But it wasn't the same because I saw the other dads. And I was a Boy Scout. We went camping every month growing up with Scouts. My dad never came. And it wasn't because he didn't want to. He really wanted to. He just couldn't go. There were a lot of limitations on my dad's life. He was stuck. Yesterday, we celebrated our oldest child, Naaman, his 12th birthday. And you know, one of the first things I thought of 12 years ago yesterday when I held him in my arms for the first time was about all the things we were going to do together. And I remember, I remember holding him as a little baby and thinking about, I mean, every parent's probably thought this, maybe someday you'll be president. You know, maybe someday you'll be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a whatever. But I thought, I thought about, I can't wait for the day we throw a football together. I can't wait for the day that we're going to be together and run around in the yard and do some adventures together. And we're going to do life together. And this little kid was someday going to grow up and we were going to hang out. And I was thinking about my son yesterday. We were telling stories about his birth again and and then I, of course, think about my dad. My dad was able to do some of those things, but his life was radically different than he had planned. And he was angry and bitter for a lot of my younger life. And I guess in some ways, maybe nobody would you know, fault him for that. <clears throat> but I don't think any of us here would dare to dream my dad's life for yourself or for anyone else. I don't think you would. Not being able to accomplish all you might have wanted in your life, from the outside looking in, like life was too difficult to live. Nobody here would wish that fate on anyone else. I know that. I'm convinced of that. Can you imagine your life being taken away from you with one operation? And the reality is that could happen to any of us. Then one day, after many years of difficulty in my dad's life, the courtroom of life was before him. And the witnesses bore their testimony about Jesus. And my dad believed the witnesses and he received life. A new life that was far beyond just a physical life. Because the reality was, he was still in a wheelchair. His left leg didn't grow back. His left arm didn't all of a sudden get stronger but he had a new heart. 
And Jesus came to him in that hospital and gave him life, literally gave him life. And his life was never the same. And anyone who, anyone who knew my dad, they would testify, knew my dad after he received his son, that is, they would testify to you that he had a joyful spirit. He had a lot of hope and a lot of promise. And he was so positive that his God would never, ever leave him. He just had this steadfast belief that God was for him. He was full of peace, though his life was full of hardships. And Jesus brought to my dad a new life, literally a new life, one that would last forever. Jesus revealed to my dad as the one, that he was the one person who understands and heals and forgives and restores and mends and renews and gives life. Now, I was the only person with my dad when he died five years ago. I was the only person in the room. And though he was on hospice care for two weeks and his strength had faded, he, he was full of hope. I asked him if he was scared, and he said no, and he, he would just point to the sky. And he could still talk at the end of his life. He would point to the sky, and he said he was ready to see his Savior, the risen Christ. And there was nothing more important at that time of his life. He cared about seeing Jesus. And in that moment, I thought, I thought of this, and, and I just have hung on to it for the last five years. And I thought the only way someone could be that sure at the end of their life, I'm convinced, is that he was believing the witnesses all along. It was, it was like a daily thing for him, that he would live each day believing such testimony from the witnesses giving the testimony, the witnesses that we were talking about earlier or that Kurt read about, the witnesses about Jesus daily living that, believing it, living it, believing it. So at the end of his life, he could be so confident and so sure. Now, my dad believed the witnesses, and he has the son. My dad has life. He received the son by faith. Okay, so remember the questions? Who do you say Jesus is? John says he's the risen Savior of the world. He's the Son of God. What does it mean to have the Son? It means to have life. And how do you have the Son? By faith. By faith. And here's where John writes about these witnesses when you read in 1 John 5, because in any court case, you know that it requires witnesses. And most of us would not believe anything of real substance without more than one witness, typically. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, have you ever asked a question of somebody, and then they give you an answer, and then you say, mm, what do you think? Right? It happened yesterday for us in the car. We were driving to go play a soccer match. The night before, there was a birthday party for Naaman, and uh, I had six boys with me in my van, um, 12-year-old boys, singing at the top of our lungs to the Frozen soundtrack. <laughs> and, and it was like, let it go, let it go. And there were voices, there were lots of voices. Every kid seemed to have a different voice. And they were taking it up to octaves and lower octaves. And it was just nuts. And I remember one of the kids in the very far back said, let's harmonize. And I thought, harmonize? And we don't, we're, we're just like a cacophony right now. It's just noise. And Naaman said, it's really loud. And some of the boys were closing their ears, but everybody was singing. And it was really, really fun. And 
It didn't sound so good, but it was really fun. <laughs> Saturday morning, we're driving to play soccer. And so my family's in the car this time. And I just happened to mention and say what, I, what we just did. Last night, you should have heard the boys. We were all singing. It was really fun. And the littlest one, Kelsey, she's six, she said, hey, um, who sounded better, the boys Friday night or us girls? Because we sing Frozen all the time <laughs> at our house, right? And, um, and I said, oh, the girls sounded better. I mean, it's clear. She didn't believe me. <laughs> she turned to Naaman. 12 years old, Naaman, her older brother, who's better at singing, the girls or the boys? And he said, oh, it was definitely the girls, right? And I just think, it's just a clear example. We do this all the time. Yeah, I need a witness. Nah, I don't know about that one. How about this witness? <laughs> it happens. I think about that. I thought, come on, not the dad. Give me, a, give me some credit here. Tell me the truth. That's okay. The older brother wins out on that argument. Um, now, the first witness that John talks about is the Spirit. And Jesus said the Spirit would come, and he would lead us into all truth, and he would convict us of sin, and he would testify to the risen Christ, speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is Jesus' witness. And in this world is a voice given from God himself that gives testimony about the Son, and this is a voice this morning that might have prompted you to come here. You might have heard, hey, let this little voice that says, why don't you go to, to a service this morning? This is a voice that, that says maybe things like, Easter's a good time to be with family. Let's celebrate. Or that Jesus is telling the truth. Or church is a good place. The Spirit testifies to us who Jesus is. But but the reality is not everybody believes. You can walk by and hear the voice and just cover your ears and say, I don't, I don't believe that witness. But John was adamant. John was adamant about getting this right because he was an eyewitness to Jesus. He wanted to, the people to know he was telling the truth about his friend and about his Lord. And he claims that the witness of the Spirit is telling the truth. Well, the second witness is the water. So he has three witnesses, the spirit, the water, which is the baptizing ministry of Jesus, testifying to those who are in Christ to be united with Jesus in all purity. We all need cleansing. We all need repentance. And Jesus' ministry starts with him being baptized by the John the baptizer. And then he goes on and he starts to baptize disciples. And John's just bringing up the reality here and saying, this is what happened. You know this about Jesus. And all of the readers, the people reading would have said, yep, we get that. Okay, yeah, we know that about him. He has a baptizing ministry that symbolizes repentance and faith and cleansing. And they would say, yeah, we know that, John. We know that witness. You got any more? And John would say, yeah, I've got a third witness. It's a witness of the blood. And here lies an issue for Grandpa John and his audience. Because these secessionists, these people trying to steal people away from the church, rejected the blood witness. These people believed that the death of Jesus was not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. It's like the modern person, one of us saying, hey, we like the Jesus that makes us clean. 
makes our life a little bit better, makes me feel good. But the Jesus that has to die, that's, he's kind of intense. Maybe he's not true, or I don't agree with him. That Jesus is kind of weird. But this blood witness will not allow the testimony to be unheard or to be unnoticed. And this witness says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This Jesus, this Jesus that's being spoken of, he's the Messiah. He's the one savior of the world. And we all need a savior because all of us fall short of God's glory. We all miss the mark of what is required for our lives. And we all, by sinning against God, we earn our payment of death. But we earn our payment of death. Jesus died. He died in our place and so satisfied the law of God for all who believe on his sacrifice and faith. And through his sacrifice, we are freely given eternal life. The spirit says so as the first witness. The water stands up and says, I agree. And the blood witness testifies as well. Speaking of Jesus and referring to the Passover lamb sacrificed to save Israel from death. Behold the lamb of God speaking of Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. And John knows this is the case because he was there with Jesus in that upper room the night he was betrayed. John was one of the ones leaning back on Jesus as a friend, hearing his words, talking about his mission and his friendship and his love for people. His intentions, he saw the blood pour out of Jesus's wounds as he was beaten. And then he watched Jesus die on the cross Willingly, Jesus willingly giving up his life for the sake of many. He knew Jesus. And John claims this blood witness bears testimony that Jesus died for all of us, for the entire world. And if John were here, and in a sense he is with his words, he would say, Jesus died for you and me, for us, but not just us, for the entire world. And I say, church, do you believe this witness? I would say, if you are a believer in Jesus, you do believe this witness. You say, yes, amen to that. That every person you meet sits in the courtroom of life, listening to the testimonies being given and must choose to accept the testimony of the witnesses as true or false. If your friends don't believe, if your neighbors don't believe, if your family members don't believe, if your classmates don't believe, John says they make God out to be a liar. I picture us gathered, like of all of us here, we're in a circle, standing in a courtroom type setting, and in the middle is a post, and Jesus is tied to the post. And we're all close enough to see Jesus look, and we can see the agony in his eyes because he's being beaten, and he's being whipped, and he's being lashed at. And not only can we see the agony, but we're close enough that when the blood splatters, it hits our skin in our face, and it stains our clothing. And are we the type of people that just says, oh, that's gross. I guess he's just some criminal. He deserves that. Or do you believe the witnesses of the spirit, the water, and the blood giving testimony to Jesus, coming to bring life to you and to everyone you know? Because this witness of blood has been crying out for centuries to be heard. Do you believe this witness? 
It's very important here to say that all three witnesses agree with each other. You cannot believe one witness and not the other two, or just two and not one. All three must be understood to be telling the truth. So nobody can say, I like one and not the other. Let's read John's account, though, of the empty tomb out of John 20. Towards the end of his book here in the Gospel of John, he writes these words. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, speaking of John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I like to say that John just likes to say he's fast. He's at least faster than Peter, okay? And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. He's also a little chicken. Then Simon Peter said, following him and went into the tomb. Oh, Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And we skip down to verse 30. You'll hear these words. Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose, and John himself didn't even understand this, or he didn't believe the witnesses until he saw the empty tomb. He went in, saw the, the cloths, and up until that moment, he had not understood. But now, in that moment, he believed the testimony. How about you? Have you heard the testimony of the witnesses and seen Jesus here in this church, in this community, in this world, acting and living? Do you see with the eyes of your heart the empty tomb this morning? John did. And in that moment, he had faith. So how about you? How do you have the son? In short, by faith. You believe the three witnesses, but this is fascinating to me. If the three were not enough, as if they weren't, he's given the three, but then God himself stands up in the courtroom. And he says, if you believe in the testimony being given, if you believe in faith, you have the son. Having the son requires faith, faith to hear all the witnesses and agree with God that God is not lying. And when you do, the testimony of God is inside of you. And this is a testimony that you can hear, but you can't like cram it into your ears. You can't just make it take up residence. It requires faith. But when you do regarding the son, when you believe God in faith, you gain the son. When you gain the son, you gain life. And this son, this Jesus, he's the one we celebrate today. The risen savior of the world who gave his own life that we might live. Who died for the sins of the world, though he himself was sinless who went to trial and turned himself in, though he knew he didn't do anything wrong, innocent. 
I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody you love that's committed a crime and they're set to go to trial for crimes they committed and instead you stand in their place, even if it means your imprisonment? What if it meant your death? For me, I, I, sat, I sat on the witness stand for my brother and I was willing to give testimony to his character I was not willing to go to 10 years imprisonment for him. I don't think most of us would do that. You, me, all of us here, all that we know, everybody we know, on trial for crimes committed, deserving of punishment, and Jesus, innocent, full of compassion, full of grace and truth, full of love for you and me and everyone you know, Jesus died for you. So do you have the son? Do you have life? I just want to urge you to not let another Easter go by that would come and go if you don't believe the testimony of the witnesses about God, about Jesus, and God himself who says of his son that he is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. But for those of us that have the son, we're part of the family of God. Today we celebrate being the family of God And it has all these perks and privileges that we're not exploring today, but it's been won for us through the blood of Jesus. Band, you can come on up. We're about to finish here. I'd like to invite everybody else to stand while I read this last section of Scripture. Then I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll sing some more songs to the risen Christ. But today as we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, let's remember these verses because John also wrote the book of Revelation. And I think when I was thinking about this this, uh, section of scripture from 1 John, I thought Grandpa John would want these words written. These are the types of words that would ring true in his heart and let them echo out to us this morning as a prayer. So out of Revelation 1, four through seven says grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen.